Welcome to the Dwell Church Sermon Archive. Dwell is a family defined by the love of God and committed to giving it away. Here is this week's message. Good morning, everyone. Morning. So I am super excited that you're here today. I'm I'm really excited for this Sunday. Um, You know, you did come with the B team kind of out here. According to Blair, um, we're the JV team. Uh, You know, Ray was out, so the Mattishacks jumped out, and no one else in the band could come. I mean, we're getting injured left and right. Steven's over here. He's got a cartwheel. And so... um, it, real, it made me realize, though, you know, because, like, Will and Aaron were doing a great job welcoming. When you have an English teacher read 30 verses of Scripture, she's the only one that could have gotten through that. <laughs> the Mattachaks did amazing leading worship, and now I realize I must have been the JV person in that environment. And so uh, buckle in, because here comes, uh, you know, the JV attempt at this. But uh, I, I really am excited about this morning, though, because we're, we're going to talk about some pretty fun and, and cool verses. It was a lot that you just heard. You know, Aaron read for 15 minutes, and so, like, you may have just kind of checked out or not gotten on. We're going to get to go through all that and and take our time a little bit, so, and really share about what's going uh, on in this set of scriptures. I promise we won't be here for two hours, even though that many verses you might think so. We're going to get through this, um, and I think it's going to be really enlightening and and hopefully uh, encouraging for you today. It's actually a pretty cool set of scriptures, actually, when you look at this. We have kind of this scenario where... Um, Jesus is being tested um, by these different groups. And if you were to read Matthew, if you were sitting at home and read this as a story, or if this was, you know, put in a TV show, and and Jesus was this main character who you'd been kind of cheering, kind of been pulling for and and cheering for this whole time, this is kind of the moment where he gets to kind of shut down the opposers and kind of gets to, like, have his moment, right? Have you ever, like, read a story or, or watched a TV show that, um, you know, you've been like waiting for the main character to kind of just like finally defend himself, finally like s- like show that he's he's worth something. Like where you like stand up and cheer and you have to t- yell at the TV. I can remember uh, a specific scene in Ted Lasso. Has anybody seen Ted Lasso here? Okay, one person. This is not going to go really well at all. No one's going to get this at all. Uh, so the one person who's seen that will. Thank you for uh, watching Ted Lasso. Um, so Ted Lasso, to give you context, is uh, Ted Lasso is kind of like this, this incredibly kind person. He's like kindness personified in this TV show. And then there's this guy named Rupert who's kind of the villain of the show, who's always agging on Ted, always just kind of making fun of him and, and trying to get Ted to kind of bite back or to try to like break down or, 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 or fail. And Ted never really gets back at him, never says anything. He's always this kind. And there's a scene, they're like in a bar about to throw darts. And, and Ted makes this, I mean, Rupert makes this crazy bet to Ted, like uh, this, this like insane bet. Just see if like, if I beat you in darts, then, you know, X, Y, Z. And Ted's like, sure, I'll, I'll give it a try. Um, and, and Rupert breaks out his like professional dart set after that, like knowing he's about to destroy Ted in this. And Ted's like, oh, I forgot I was right-handed. And he goes, and Ted just destroys him. And through this whole time, he's, like, speaking about how he played darts growing up. You really need to go watch the scene. I'm not really doing it much justice. But it's this moment where you're like, yes, like, Ted, go, get him, like, finally. And at the same time, we see Ted do this, and there's something really cool about it. Like, he never gloats or rubs it in his face. He's doing it in kindness as well. He's still saying humble even when he kind of finally has his moment. 
And so I think it's kind of cool because we're going to see traces of that today. We're going to see how Jesus handles these, like, I mean, realistically, they're attacks. They're trying to entrap Jesus and how he handles these so wise, obviously, like Jesus would, but also how he does it in, a, in humility and kindness. So let's jump to the first test. Then the Pharisees went and plotted how to entangle him in his word. That's verse 15. Verse 16 says, And they sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians, saying, Teacher, we know that you are true and teach the way of God truthfully. And you do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances. Tell us then what you think. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus, aware of their malice, said, Why put me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin for the tax. And they brought him a denarius. And Jesus said to them, Whose likeness is in... And inscription is this. They said Caesar's. Then he said to them, Therefore render to Caesar what are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. When they heard it, they marveled, and they left him and went away. There's a couple things I want to note here today uh, that is going to kind of give you a little bit of context of like what these different groups are. There's going to be three different groups that kind of test or are proposing these questions and trying to entrap Jesus in some of these questions. And the reason so is all three of these groups are kind of political and religious parties that all pretty much oppose each other for power and for the leadership of the people. They believe different things. They're always trying to push different things. And so none of them get along from a, they're not a, a combined group. They come together basically to try to entrap Jesus. That's all they can agree on is none of us like Jesus. And so you have the Pharisees, which were a religious sect of the Jews, who for today, all you really need to know is that they believed in the resurrection. The Herodians were kind of like a modern group of the Pharisees. They worked really closely with the Romans. Um, and they were kind of the enemies of the Pharisees. They were two separate groups, kind of had broken off from them. And the main difference being that the Herodians did not observe the Mosaic law, which is like these laws and commandments that were found in the first five books uh, that wrote Moses wrote. And they supported the Romans, where the Pharisees observed that law, the Mosaic law, and opposed the Romans, which means they opposed the paying the tax. Okay, So you have two sides kind of vibing, uh, vying for power here, and that's kind of why they, they present this question. The Pharisees, the easiest way to think of them is kind of like the Ron Swanson, right? They don't like taxes. They don't want to pay the government. They don't want government to be there. We can say Leslie Nope is uh, the Herodians who are like, yes, we do want the government. We do want to pay taxes, right? That's a Parks and Rec. If you didn't watch that show either, then uh, you're not going to get a lot of out of this today. Okay, so here we go. Um, now, these two groups were able to put aside their differences for that one common goal. Do you know what it is? To discredit Jesus. That, that, that was their goal. Like, hey, we can come together. We don't like each other, but we'll come together and pose a question where we know he has to make a side. He has to pick a side. Like, if we ask this question, should we pay taxes? Is that, is that biblically, is that, is that in obedience to God? And th th they know that if he picks Yes, definitely you should pay taxes, or no, you shouldn't. He's going to have to pick one of the other uh, Herodians or Pharisees kind of way of belief. So they ask this question. You see, if he was to outright say you should pay the tax, that would upset the Pharisees or the Ron Swansons. If he said the opposite, that would alienate him against the Herodians. And, and the way Jesus handles this is to actually just ask them, like, what money are you using right now? What are you using to buy your goods with? What is, what is your type of currency? So they present to him a denarius, which is a coin that has literally Caesar's face on it. And he says, go ahead and give Caesar his coin back. That's basically what he's saying. Like, give Caesar his coin back, but everything belongs to God. Give God the things that are everything. You see, this is still true today. Everything you think of yours is God's. 
that supersedes taxes, but it doesn't absolve you from paying taxes. God ordained that there would be governments and taxes while all of it was still his. They marveled, they left, went away, and the great words of Michael Scott, boom, roasted. So we see that, that Jesus does this in a way that, that brings what their own actions, their own doing to show that this argument is kind of invalid. Yes, gifts, these are what is to his, but at the end of the day, all of this belongs to Christ. All of this belongs to God. The next group is the Sadducees, another crazy word. They believed in no resurrection. That's kind of what you want to think about today. Uh, they only believed in the first five books of the Bible written by Moses, and they tried to trap Jesus into picking a side against the Pharisees. So verse 23 says, The same day Sadducees came to him who say that there is no resurrection. And they asked him a question, saying, Teacher, Moses said, if a man dies having no children, his brother must marry the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. Now, there were seven brothers among us. The first married and died, and having no offspring, left his wife to his brother. So, too, the second and third, down to the seventh. After them all, the woman died. In the resurrection, therefore, of the seven, whose wife will she be? For they all had her. But Jesus answered them, You are wrong, because you know neither scriptures nor the power of God. For in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. And as for the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what is said to you by God? I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not God of the dead, but of the living. And when the crowd heard it, they were astonished at his teaching. You know, this story is kind of wild, like how one woman was you know, kind of had to be passed down amongst these brothers to be married when each died, like be given to his brother. Like if you could think about it, like this is happening today, right? Like the six brothers, like George, please, please, George, just live long enough so I can find a wife to marry. Um, she, she's 20 years older than me. She babysitted me for goodness sake. Um, no, uh, joking aside, this was actually kind of a common practice back then. If a, if a husband died, then the brother would kind of take uh, his wife or children to help make sure they had security in a home. And so the Sadducees are, are positioning these questions to make fun of the resurrection and the teaching of it, really. But Jesus handles this, well, like Jesus. He first shares how the resurrection is not just a continuation of earthly life, but something a bit different and more, actually. Jesus actually uses scripture from Exodus, which is the, uh, one of the books that they actually draw, the only books they believed in, the Sadducees. So he uses their own like, set of scriptures that they gain their gather their beliefs from to prove that there's a resurrection and life after earth. And I know hearing this uh, and maybe reading it, uh, it's going to propose some questions. It probably brings up some, raises some questions in you, like, are we going to know our spouse? Are we going to know our friends, our family in heaven? And I don't think that's Jesus's point today. Um, you know, today that isn't going to be our focus, but I hope I can try to uh, at least point us in the right direction on how to think about this and how we can, uh, you know, believe this and trust in this. <clears throat> heaven, so I, I believe Jesus was more so proving that heaven exists more than getting into the details of what heaven's going to be like. What I can say is that from Scripture, we know that we will be fully satisfied in heaven. It's hard to really know all the details and to what extent the similarities are going to be between life and heaven. But we can trust that to be fully satisfied in God leaves no room for pain or sadness. I know when we think about it like, oh, like all these questions raised, 
And the one thing we can trust on this side of it is that we will be fully satisfied in heaven. And to be fully satisfied in heaven leaves no room for worry or pain or sadness. I can speak to a couple of scriptures that I think gives us room to believe that uh, we would recognize those uh, that we know here on earth. Uh, in 2 Samuel 12, 23, David speaks. This is right after David, uh, who loses his son. Uh, a servant comes up and asks him and says, you know, like, you've weeped for days and weeks about your son, and, and now, like, you're, you're over it. David basically goes for, like, two weeks hardcore weeping and grieving for his son and praying. And he says, my son will not return to me. And in verse 23, he says, but I will go to him. And, and he's speaking of going to him in heaven one day. And Matthew 8, 11 says, When Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to them that followed, Verily I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. And I say unto you that many shall come from the east and the west and shall sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. You know, we can say that, you know, we see here that the Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are, are a lineage of father and sons. In 1 Thessalonians, Paul speaks about how he loved uh, how he loved and brought to faith in Christ. Um, those people that he loved and brought to faith in Christ will bring him joy in heaven when he reunites with them. He talks about uh, when he's speaking to grieving believers about how we will be caught up in heaven with them. And so I, I don't want to like go down a rabbit hole here and, and I, I, I more so want to give you uh, the, the faith or the trust or the comfort of knowing that like whatever heaven will be like, it will be wonderful. It will fully satisfy everything that we crave. There's more scriptures and, and, and different things in the Bible. You can go and do your research and like what you want to take out of that. But I, I want you to end here today going, Jesus says that there will be a heaven and it's going to be wonderful. We won't desire anything because we will be fully satisfied in Christ. Okay, we're going to move on. You may still have questions. We can talk about this later. We can go into it deeper, but I hope that that gives you a landing zone, at least going, I can trust that God has my best interest in heart, and I'll be fully complete in him. Verse 34 says, but when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. You know, I, I kind of like this first verse here. You know, that it says that they, the Pharisees heard that he silenced the Sadducees. And so, you know, you have the Pharisees go huddle up. It's kind of like family feud. Has anybody ever seen family feud? And the family's like, are like listening intently. And, and the, the, the other family gets it wrong. So this family's like... <laughs> You know, they're whispering in, and then they send the smart one, like, they send this one smart guy who actually isn't, like, blood-related to the family. He, like, married the daughter, you know, and, like, the rest of the family's like, how did y'all get these people on this show? You know, and so the, the lawyer comes and goes, uh, Steve, uh, I have the answer. What, I have the question for you, you know. Teacher, what is the greatest commandment? And you just see, like, Jesus, or in this case, Steve Harvey going, like, he's, like, listening, you know, he's, <laughs> like, looking at the audience, you know. That was my best Steve Harvey impression. Uh, you know, I didn't want to go any farther than that. So I'm glad a couple of you have seen Steve Harvey before because that was spot on. I mean, let's be honest. And, you know, he's just like, and it kind of becomes this point where, like, it's almost like going back and forth. You have the Sadducees who test it, and, and Jesus, you know, shuts them down. And then the Pharisees are like, oh, we have a, we have a question that's going to pit him against this. 
And Jesus just answers it like in the most Jesus way. And, and I really want us to actually <clears throat> um, sit here for a second and, and, and talk about this. You know, joking aside, we see them try to trap Jesus again. And finally, he just says that everything we are talking about today, everything hangs on these two things. Love the Lord with all your heart, your soul, and mind. In other words, love him with your whole self. It's not separate categories. It's a life dedicated by loving God. And second, it's love your neighbor as yourself. If we were to look at this like we were in that room listening, we see all these people and all these, uh, you know, political groups and religious scholars, you know, uh, leading and uh, leaders and pushing and trying to test Jesus. And at the crux of all these questions, Jesus makes a point to say that this is the most important. The most important thing you can do is loving God and loving the people around you. I've had many conversations where people are concerned they can't live a life that's pleasing to God or they don't think they're do doing what God wants them to do. And what Jesus is saying that all out of all the commandments, all the things Jesus wants for you and your life stem from you loving God and loving people. Fully. This love isn't like, oh, I love what you did to your hair or Oh, I love LaCroix, which, let's be honest, you have to be like literally criminally insane to say those words in, the, you know, in a row, I love LaCroix. No, this, is, this love that Jesus is asking you to do, this love that if it is fully lived out will lead you to a life that is fully satisfied in Jesus. He's not talking, he's not getting into the weeds of all these questions. He's saying all of this stuff is fine, but what is most important is that you love God with everything in your life and you love the people around you. It's tough. It's not a simple two-step process. No, it's saying I value God more than I value my own desires. It's saying I value the way I care for others more than I care for myself. Truthfully, it's a love that many times is unattainable. But with grace, we can strive to do our best. We can strive to better ourselves. You know, there's an interview with uh, Kobe Bryant um, who actually is saying, like, I may can't reach perfection, but I can strive for it to get there one day at a time. And what's great about this journey to love God, this, the interview's over. He didn't keep going past that point, right? He said, I may can't reach perfection, but I can strive to get there one day at a time. In Kobe Bryant quote, what's great about this journey to love God and to love one another, that every day we can strive to be better while being reliant on God's grace that we're not necessarily going to live it up to the fullest. I think it's more actually about not, I don't think it's striving for perfection as much as it's striving for reliance on Jesus. Wow. Amy, I mean, good job. I sent Amy, I didn't send her any slides. I just said, hey, put the scripture on the way, and she's like pulling out stuff. I just saw it pop up on that screen up there. <clears throat> I also don't know, yeah, and she corrected my grammar too. Wow. We got the A team in tech today. I don't know about everywhere else, but that's the varsity team back there. You see, God has designed you to be loved by him and to love him back. Do you realize that's what you were designed to do? Like, have you ever worked on something? This is, have you ever worked on something? And like, this is what my dad used to say. My dad will work. He will do anything himself and he'll learn how to do it. My dad is not going to pay anybody unless it is a life or death thing that he has to t pay someone to teach him how to do something, right? And what he's learned over the years, and anyone who's worked on a lot of things knows this, is a job is really about the tool you have, right? Like, it's, 
a job is much easier if you have the right tools. It's all about having the right tools. Like when you have a tool that's doing exactly what it's made to do, it feels good, right? But if you're using like a, a Phillips head screwdriver trying to twist a flathead screw, you know, you're like, man, this is nightmare on earth. There's something nice about when it's, something's doing what it's supposed to be designed and, and it was made to do. And that's a weird example, and I didn't even write that in, so I probably shouldn't have said it. But what I'm saying is, is God designed you to be loved by him. He designed you to love him back, and he designed you to share that love with others. If we can, if we can understand that, if we can get behind that and say, man, I know what I'm designed to do. Now can I do it? Now can I focus my life relying on the grace of God, relying on the grace of Jesus that I may not live up to it fully, but this is what Jesus wants for my life. And if I know that my life, my manual tells me to go this way, this is what I was designed to do, we'll be seeking satisfaction in Christ. He designed us to live in a community that is based on the love of Christ. It's a community where everyone is caring for one another as much as they would care for their own self. Can you imagine if that was our North Star, if that was our number one goal in life was to follow these, to, 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 to love God and love people? Imagine a church dedicated to this. Imagine a whole neighborhood dedicated to this. The HOAs would be insane because everyone wants to get into that neighborhood because it would be a community that was designed to live that way, that is living to its what it was designed for, seeking to love God and seeking to share that love with those around us in harmony with one another. Whatever you came in here today thinking of, that you think what Christianity is, if it's all these rules or all these things, what Christianity hangs on is loving Jesus and sharing that love with others. Okay, we're going to move on. I'm telling you, we have a lot of scripture, guys. Here we go. Let's say, verse 41 says, now, while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them a question, saying, What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? They said to him, The son of David. He said to them, How is it then that David, in the spirit, calls him Lord, saying, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If then David calls him Lord, how is he his son? And no one was able to answer him a word, nor from that day did anyone dare ask him a question anymore. So Jesus ends this test with a question of his own. He's on a whole different level. He's proven he is the son of God with the same scripture that they had been testing him with. Jesus has this moment where he just takes these guys to school pretty much, right? Like he's answered every question from all these religious scholars, political groups. And then he goes, you know what? I have one question for all of you. See if you can answer it. And they can't. In fact, they dare not ask him any more questions. Dude, if it was just me, I'm telling you, I would have a blazer with the patches on for the rest of the time. I'd have like a monocle, and I'd carry a pipe around just to look like I knew what I was doing because I just like own these groups. Luckily, Jesus handles it with humility. He handles it how he should, a perfect life, not bragging or showing the crowd how he just destroyed these scholars and leaders, but no, he spoke truth and grace. You know, it's important that we know what Scripture says. It's important, I think it's uh, in obedience uh, to study the Word, to understand what you believe, to understand what being a Christian means for you and, and how it affects, you know, 2,000 years ago, these were some hot topics. I can tell you we have hot topics today 2,000 years later. And people are going to push you and ask you sometimes, you know, what you believe on these different ideas, ideas and, and, and topics. 
And it's good that you know that. But I said it before, and I'll say it again. I think the most important thing that hinge, all those things hinge on is are you seeking a life that's loving, pursuing God? Are you loving the people around you? If all you are worried about is these hot topics and you want to get in debates and you want to discuss these things and you're not loving God and you're not loving the people around you, it's kind of all for nothing. If we were to look at all this that, we, that we've discussed today, we can know that everything we have is God's and we understand that we give back to God what is God's that doesn't absolve us from paying taxes. I'm sorry, Mr. Swanson. We can know that there is a heaven and we can trust that it will be everything we would ever desire and need to be fully satisfied in God. I can 100% tell you that. We can know that if you want a fulfilling life, if you want to live a life how you were created to live, love God and love people and find ways to live this out in your life. Strive to perfect this, knowing that you would rely on the grace of God when you fail. Lastly, we can know that Jesus is the Son of God, that he came down as man, that he lived a life here on earth, a perfect life, facing the pain, bearing your sin and shame, and taking it to the cross, dying for you so that you would, a, may, a way would be made for you to know God, to spend eternity with God, to be embraced by Jesus and embracing his peace and his love and in his joy. I want this for everyone here today. If you have always thought about being a Christian with just following rules, I want to tell you that Jesus loves you and died for you not to follow rules, but to live a life about how you were designed to live it. If you have always thought there's no way that God who created everything would care enough to even know who I am, much less die for me, I want to tell you that God died for you so that you could live a life knowing his love and be embraced by him taking that love and sharing it. He knew every mistake you were going to make, every mistake you have made, and he still took it to the cross to defeat that sin, defeat that shame, so that you could know his love, so that you could share his love with those around you. So that you could experience what it means to be fully satisfied in God when we make it to that day in heaven. I hope you leave here today knowing that you have a Savior who loves you and deeply wants you. He wants you to know that, and he wants you to share that with those around you. We're going to have a time in just a moment where you can think about this. You can pray about this. If you don't know what to pray or, or what this even means, we're going to have people in the back who are going to be able to talk with you, pray with you. If you want to discuss any of this in a longer thing, I'll be around. You can talk to me. I pray that you just dwell on this for a few minutes. Afterwards, if you are a believer in Christ and you're a Christian, we are going to have um, the juice and the bread, which we do in honor and remembrance of, of, of what Jesus died and, and did for us, representing the blood and the body. And after we pray, we're going to sing, sing, have a few times of worship. So this time is going to be yours, okay? I'm going to pray, and then we'll go from there. God, we thank you for today, God. We thank you for your word, for your scripture, God. We thank you for having a place we can come together. We can read about you. We can talk about you, God. We can learn about you, and we can worship you, God. 
I pray, God, that we live a life of obedience when it comes to all these questions and different types of ways we can go, God. We pray that all of us would know where we stand and where we believe, God. But more than anything, I pray that we all would experience your love, would experience your grace, and have the courage to share that with those around us. God, my prayer for everyone in this room is that they would leave knowing they have a Savior who loves them, who cares for them, and is pursuing them so greatly, God, that they would turn to know him. Everything else will fall in line, God, if we just seek you, we love you, and we love those around us. And God, I pray that for everyone here today, no matter what point in their walk with you they are at, God, no matter what's going on in their life, God, that they can know that if they would love you and love those around them, that is what they were designed to do. God, we ask all this in your name. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope it brought you closer to Jesus and more in touch with the world around you. Being a Christian in today's culture can be hard. Fortunately, he gives us the gift of community through his church. So we would love to invite you to join us for one of our Sunday morning gatherings or for one of our weekly small groups. All the details you need can be found on our website, dwelldenver.org.